When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today I'm outdoors at Panera Bread with uh, some of our little flock here at St. Joan of Arc doing morning prayer. We're praying for the world. If you'd like us to pray for you coming up, um, we start again on Tuesday through Friday every day at a different coffee shop praying morning prayer for you and for the world. So if you need prayer for something, please reach out runnermonk at gmail.com, runnermonk, all one word, at gmail.com. That's monk with an O, not a U, not the chipmunk kind of monk, but the the monk that runs, (laughs) I guess. But um, welcome again to this podcast, and thank you for being a bold listener, and thank you for sharing uh, the things that mean something to you when you hear something here that resonates. I hope you share it um, with the people that need to hear it. This is the end of the reign of Saul. Um, His kingship comes to an end at his death. Um, which is how kings do it generally and um, not intentionally of course Uh, he is surrounded by the Philistines at this point they're winning his son is dead his other two sons are dead Um, and then it says the archers find him and we often think of these battles sort of in Lord of the Rings maybe movie terms or in other epic battle scenes but um, probably judging from the way things worked back then, they would have been a lot smaller than maybe tens of thousands of soldiers fighting each other. In fact, to get 10,000 people to do anything together is pretty hard to do. And so these battles were probably more like what we think of as a gang fight than even a, like a two nations going after each other. Hard to know fully what went, went on. But um, they're surrounded. So it's very intimate, very personal uh, warfare was in those days, except for these archers who were able to shoot over the top. And Saul is the biggest target on the field. He's the tallest guy. John's a tall person. You know, (laughs) people notice you. You can't just sneak in and out of things. Um, They see you. And they see Saul, and they kill him. And they're about to kill him. And Saul, of course, uh, asks for suicide or ask for his armor bearer to kill him. Um, we see the despair of Saul, the, the failure of Saul, the giving up of Saul. He knows what they'll do to him if they capture him. Um, and he says, he says that to his armor bearer. His armor bearer has um, his own moral code. Saul has broken his own moral code many times. He is the personification of the morally injured warrior. He has uh, done things that he wished he hadn't done. He's repented of them, but can never seem to get free of them. Every time he tries to make it right, he ends up in another mess. And, um, and so his, his last resort is to have someone else kill him, um, which, you know, is asking his own armor bearer, the closest person to him, to do something that he finds morally 
reprehensible. The problem with people like Saul is that they get other people to do things for them um, that scar their souls. They get other people to do things to them to, that uh, damage their own well-being. We always have to be careful in life, not only to think of ourselves and what is good for us and what will hurt our consciences and what will scar us for life or for the time being, but also what will affect other people. Um, we live in a society today that judges all morality by consent. You know, if two people or three people or five people consent to something, um, then it's morally just. And for the most part, that's true. It's, it's a reaction to a, to a culture that pressured people into things, um, into moral actions that they felt were wrong. And so the idea that if everybody agrees on something, it's sort of okay, is the, is the morality of today. Except when you get into issues like this, um, where someone doesn't have the ability to say no. The armor bearer barely has the ability to say no to this action, to kill his boss, to kill his king, um, which just, unless he is despairing in equal amounts, is going to cause him to be a king killer for the rest of his life. We've all seen Game of Thrones or read the books. We know what happens to people like that even if they do it for a good reason. To touch the Lord's anointed was something David wouldn't do. Even though David is the Lord's anointed, when he finds Saul in a vulnerable position, he can kill him easily. He doesn't do it because he says, I can't take the life of the Lord's anointed. So to kill this king, Saul, even a wicked king, is still a really a big moral issue for this armor bearer. And he refuses. And so Saul takes the sword and, and falls on it. To fall on your sword has forever, since this day, become a metaphor for not just suicide, but a metaphor for going down with the ship when you're a leader and you've messed up and you uh, take it all down with you. To fall on your sword is that um, the metaphor for that kind of action. And we see the tragedy of Saul. It's a tragedy, like any Greek tragedy. It ends in suicide. Um, the Greek idea of suicide is very different from the Jewish idea of suicide in the Bible. There are no good suicides in the Bible. Um, there are lots of good suicides in Greek mythology and literature, and Roman life as well. It was sort of the last noble thing you could do. And yet for Christians and Jews, um, since we follow God in this way, we believe that suicide is always... Um, is always something that we must think about morally. Um, and, and what this means is not that people that kill themselves are doing something bad and evil or something. We want to make that clear that people don't go to hell because they killed themselves. Um, suicide is a result of a severe despair, of a dis-ease, of a disease even, of a real sadness that is usually long-term. It's not something quick. Um, and suicide in Saul's case is a, is a fear of the future, of what they'll do to him um, as the king, the Philistines will do. And so we want to be careful not to say that suicide is a, is a sin in the same way that murder is a sin or other things. But for Christians today, we follow Jesus, who did not kill himself, um, even though he gave his life up freely for the life of the world. It was not a suicide. It was a voluntary 
uh, walking into death and judgment and uh, an unjust trial, but it was not um, it was not suicide. What Saul does here ends the tragedy of his life and um, is sad in its own way. And we'll see uh, tomorrow, if you read the readings tomorrow and the next couple days, you'll see um, the lament for Saul. And Saul's followers know this. Um, his own brave subjects rescue his dead body off the city walls and the bodies of his sons at great risk to themselves. Um, here these unnamed guys do something that is extremely brave in the face of tragedy. And it shows us that even when the chips are down, even when we've lost all hope, um, the way out is not Saul's way out. The way out is the way these guys have their way out. They use their own bravery to do the last good thing they know to do, and that is to save um, the life of the body of Saul. They, they burn the body to reduce it to bones, and then they bury it under the tamarisk tree, forever protected by that tree. And this is what we do in the face of despair and tragedy. We don't, we don't ask other people to do things to us like Saul does. And we don't end it all. What we do is we say, I'm going to do one brave thing before it's all over. Or maybe two brave things. Or maybe three. Um, and that sort of is how we live, even in the face of our despair, even in the face of knowing how short our lives are. Um, and this is what we do following Jesus who lived this way. He stretched out his arms of love on the cross, showing us that's how we live. Um, and so the tragedy of Saul is absorbed into the crucifixion of Jesus Christ um, in that there is no despair that is so deep that that is the only way out. The only way out is through the death and resurrection of Jesus to accept God's will for what our lives are, to acknowledge that we don't have the ultimate control over our life, to give that over to God, which is what Jesus does. He gives his life over to God. Into your hands, he says, I commend my spirit. Um, he doesn't take his own life, but he gives it to God. He gives it to the life of the world. And that's what we ought to do in the face of our despair. As we think of Saul, even his death is absorbed into Christ. Even his sins are forgiven. And so one day we're going to walk into heaven and there's going to be this tall guy standing there. And he's got a wound in his chest. He's got a scar on his chest from this day. And he's going to be there to greet us in our despair, in our victory, in our sadness, in our hopelessness, in our triumph, in our life, and in our joy. And that'll be the reunion with Saul that we experience, not because of Saul and not because of us, but because of Jesus. That's why we're here, and that's why we'll be there. Amen. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace, through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.